1: holiness without humility,
2: impossible, self-exaltation, self-desire, self-infatuation, always grabbing for what I want and what I need. You cannot have holiness without humility. And without holiness, no man will see the Lord.
1: It is a prerequisite. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We're going to go deep today.
2: Some of what I share will make you uncomfortable. I'm very clear that on this broadcast, I have to come unvarnished, clear and clean. And I have to speak to you in such a manner that would call you to enter deeply into Jesus Christ and allow Him to fully come into you. Now, that's not easy. I noticed when we placed a great emphasis on revival and on speaking in the power of the Spirit as at Pentecost,
1: many of you stopped listening and stopped giving. I recognize that
2: this message is not a popular message in today's culture, because this culture is about death and self. It's about self-gratification. It's a culture that is totally infatuated with itself. I pray that if you are one of those who has been angry with me, you will repent and reconsider your position before Jesus, and reconsider your foolish theology that would teach you that the gifts of the Spirit are not for this age. Anyone who teaches that has not read carefully the book of Acts. And anyone who would believe that is short-circuiting the power necessary to bring revival and change America we will not change America by President Trump or by the Congress or by the courts. America can only be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit being released in love and compassion, calling men and women to repent and calling men and women to do their first works of love and mercy.
1: We're going to go there today. Be warned. Pray that Jesus will open your heart.
2: Almighty God, I pray that as I share this piercing message, that you will call men and women to be revived in your spirit and cause them to cast aside every favorite tradition and replace it with the living Christ. I pray that you will come and express yourself fully to us today, Jesus, and that you will have your way and bring revival in this city. Lord, thank you. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. In Luke, the 14th chapter, let me begin reading with verse 7. Jesus, in context, is at the house of a prominent Pharisee. And as he's waiting for the meal to be served, he is watching carefully what the people are doing, and they're watching him carefully to bring judgment against him. In verse 7, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host will invite both of you, and he will say, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest seat or the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Nothing is clearer from the New Testament than this principle that the Lord Jesus expects us to take the low position of servants. This is not just an extra obligation which we may or may not assume as we please. It is the very heart of that new relationship which the disciple is to take up with respect to God and to his fellow man. If he is not in fellowship with christ if he is not in fellowship with christ it is because there is no degree of holiness in his life you cannot have holiness without humility when we understand the humbling and self-emptying that is involved in really being a servant it becomes evident that only those who are prepared to live quite definitely under the shadow of Calvary, ever contemplating the humility and brokenness of the Lord Jesus for us, will be willing for that position. Most that I know are unwilling to take that position, and so church for them is a cultural experience. It is one more thing added to an already full and busy life. It is a place to go to be recognized, to bring my tithes and offerings and be fawned over by the pastor and approved by the others, a place to hook up for lunch or a dinner or a social obligation. That is not what church is about. Now let me just say, The National Prayer Chapel is literally a new church plant. We have radically redone the focus of the National Prayer Chapel. Our focus is now the intimate relationship with Jesus of the servant, of the humble-hearted person, who is willing to come into that servant position with Jesus and then secondly is willing to come into that relationship with other people in such a way that they win them to Jesus and disciple them in the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We were talking this morning, Alexander and myself, the church is not to be a place where you just bring your non-believer. The church is the community, the fellowship of believers. And it's the place where you can bring a person after you have introduced them to Jesus and you have done some work with them in explaining and helping them understand the servant position that God is calling them to, a giving up of their own life. The church must be a place of humility, of holiness, sacred, not because of doctrinal positions, although doctrine is vital to the church, but rather to those men and women who are willing to lay their lives down for the city of Washington, D.C. That's what the prayer chapel is about. And that's the direction this broadcast will continue to go, even though it makes some of you very upset and very unhappy, and you even stop listening and turn it off. I know you'll be back because what I'm speaking is the truth. It's time for our pride to be broken and for us to enter into servanthood to Jesus and to each other. There's no longer a place in the church for proud, arrogant people who say, oh, I'll not lower myself to that. Oh, my pride will not let me do that. Then you do not belong in the church. There was a time when the National Prayer Chapel was, everybody's invited, let's come and let's just celebrate together, Jesus. That doesn't work. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. It is the people of God. It is the people who are willing to lay their lives down for their brother and their sister. And, may I say this? If you are looking for a place, a people, that you could join yourself to in humility and love, then you're welcome to call me or Alexandra and speak with us about the National prayer chapel, and we will share with you more in depth who we are and what we're doing, and you will be given the address for where you can come and be a part of this new church plant, this new house church. We will never again be an institutional church, so call seven o three four eight nine 1785 I'll give you that number again 703 489 1785 we will not simply invite you to come we will rather talk with you about what your journey is with Jesus and are you ready to lay your life down in humble service to him if you're not don't call me 703 489 one seven eight five. Now, when we begin to understand the humbling and the self-emptying that is involved in really being a servant, it becomes evident that only those who are prepared to live quite definitely under the shadow of Calvary ever contemplating the humility and brokenness of the Lord Jesus for us, will be willing to take that position. As we approach this subject today and its personal application in detail to our lives, there are several things that need to be said to prepare you to understand the low, humbling position that Jesus is calling us to. In the Old Testament, there are two kinds or two sorts of servants. There are the hired servants. And in the Greek, there are the doulos servants or the bond servants. The hired servant receives pay and he has certain rights. For example, he has the right to a family. He has the right to receive remuneration for his labor. And then there are bond servants or do loss slaves. They have no rights. They receive no
1: wages. They have no court of appeal. Now when we come to the New Testament.
2: The word in the Greek for the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ is not hired servant, but rather bond servant, doulos, by which is meant to be shown that our position with Jesus is one where we have no rights and no appeal, where we are absolute property of Jesus Christ to be treated or disposed of just as he wishes. Further, we're going to see more clearly still what our position is to be when we understand that we are to be due law slaves or bond servants of the one who was himself willing to be a bond servant. Nothing shows better the amazing humility of the Lord Jesus whose servants we are to be and that, that though he was god he was in the form of god he counted it not a prize to be equal to god but emptied himself taking the form of a servant read carefully philippians the second chapter verses 6 and 7 this servant that jesus chose to be was without rights willing to be treated as the will of the father and the malice of men might decree if only he might thereby serve all men and offer them the opportunity the way to come back to god and be in fellowship with the father you and i are to be bond servants of jesus who was himself always a bond servant whose disposition is ever that of humility, whose activity is ever that of humbling himself to serve those he created. How utterly low, then, is our true position. This shows us what it means to be ruled by the Lord Jesus. One man said to me, Pastor, I can't do that. I can't give myself over to God that way because he might ask me to do something I don't want to do. I must be in charge of my own life. And I'm willing to serve God, but I'm not willing to be a bond servant to him. I'm in charge of my own life. I'll make my own choices and decisions. So I'll go to church. I'll pay my tithe. I'll do the other things Christians are supposed to do. I'm not going to put my life in Jesus' hands. This foolish man was unwilling to humble his heart so that he could be holy. And again, Romans 12, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So his religion is an outward form without godliness. so our servanthood to jesus is then also to express itself in servanthood to other people paul said we preach not ourselves but christ jesus the lord and are serve and ourselves your servants for jesus sake the low position we take Toward the Lord Jesus is judged by Him by the low position we take in our relationships with our fellows, with other Christians. An unwillingness to serve others
1: is costly, it will cost you your relationship with Jesus.
2: We are called to serve one another in costly and humbling ways. We are called to leave behind our unwillingness to serve Jesus by testing our servanthood, by washing one another's feet. We're now in a position to apply all this much more personally to our lives. Now, we need to really go down there and look carefully at what serving one another really means. Let me read for you Luke, the 17th chapter. Luke, the 17th chapter. I'm going to begin reading. um, Let's see. Verse 7. Suppose one of you Has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep? Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants.
1: We have only done our duty. We are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. Now let's put this in the context
2: of Scripture. In context, in Luke the 16th chapter, There is the story of the rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day, and at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So we now have the very graphic picture of a man who is utterly self-serving, Now, that doesn't mean to fit into this parable, you must be dressed like a king. It simply means that you are full of your own life and your own agenda and your own decisions, and you have not
1: surrendered any of those. And now Lazarus, he's a beggar. He has nothing. He is utterly humbled. He is utterly broken
2: and the time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man, he also came to the end, and he died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us you have a great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Now, this is the context, then, of what I have read to you about the servant. In other words, Jesus, in context, is beginning this conversation by saying, don't be like this rich man who was in charge of his own life and who had no thought for helping his brother. The beggar was a human being and desperately needed the care that Lazarus could have offered. And had he offered it, they would have been both with Abraham in that day of their death, waiting for the
1: great day of salvation to come. But no, He was only about himself. Now, in verse 3, he continues,
2: So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Well, Jesus said, if you have faith the small as the mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. What's he saying? Jesus is clearly indicating that if someone, a brother or sister, sins against you, rebuke them, deal with them, but in kindness and in love. Now, I have to confess to you, I have not done that in my life. When a brother or a sister has sinned against me, I've simply let them go their way, and I've not rebuked them, because I did not want conflict. And I viewed that as humility. There is true humility, and there is false humility. True humility is always that which does not set yourself up above, but deals honestly with whatever is going on between you and another person. I can't tell you how my heart is grieved because so many people in my life have sinned against me, and I've simply swallowed it and gone on down the road, and I've not confronted them, and I've not said to them, your pride is sin and what you have done is wrong. Please, repent. But I have to be able to say that not out of pride and not out of self-sufficiency, but out of absolute humility before God. You see, I am my brother's keeper, and I am responsible to speak clearly in an abusive situation or in a situation where I am being treated In a sinful manner, I must be able to say to my brother, my sister, you are sinning against me. Please, please don't do this. But repent and turn to Jesus and humble your heart with me. We're We're just
1: fellow travelers. Now notice what Jesus says.
2: Suppose one of you has a servant. In other words, the disciples hear this message and they say, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus says it's not increase faith you need. It's humility you need. It's humbling your heart that you need. This was the issue time after time that Jesus spoke to his disciples about, saying to them, unless you have a sharp turn in your behavior and become like this little child, you cannot enter the kingdom
1: of God. Now, what's he saying? Humble your heart. Remember the raism I used at the beginning of this broadcast? Without humility, you cannot have holiness. And without holiness, you will not have humility. You must come to a place where you can
2: enter truly into humility. Now, I'd like to outline for you five steps that I just shared in Luke, the 17th chapter. I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to take it step by step and explain to you clearly the steps we must take if we are going to walk in humility before God. Verse 7, this is Luke, the 17th chapter, verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now, sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me, and while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink? Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you almost, you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now let me walk you through the five steps in this passage that I found when I read it very painful. And by the way, these five steps are in a little book entitled The Calvary Road by Roy Hessen. These are not my five steps, but as I read them, my heart was deeply convicted and troubled because I recognized the act of pride in my own heart. You see, I'm not interested in just teaching you the outside of the Scripture. I want you to grasp the inside of the Word of God. I want you to internalize the Word of God and let it let it change you in the inner side. Okay, so here are the five marks of a bond servant. First, he must be willing to have one thing on top of another put upon him without any consideration being given to him. In other words, on top of a hard day in the field, the servant in the parable had immediately to prepare his master's meal. And on top of that, he had to wait at the table. And all that before he had any food himself. He was told to just go and do it, expecting nothing else. Are you willing for this? Or do you quickly murmur? with bitterness in your heart when this kind of thing is expected of you. At the moment we start complaining, we're acting as if we had rights and a bond servant doesn't have any rights. (laughs) So I was, we had a guest in the house this last week. And first thing in the morning, I found out what time he had to leave in order to get transportation. And I knew we couldn't send him away without breakfast. So he went to the refrigerator and opened it and just started looking through it to see what he could grab and growl. And I said, no, no, let me fix you. Let me fix you eggs. I'll scramble eggs for you. Oh, That'd be great. Thank you how many eggs would you like?
1: I fixed him five eggs. And then he wanted bacon.
2: Okay, I had three pieces of bacon left in the refrigerator. I got the oven on, I got the bacon on, I got the eggs whipped and ready to be scrambled. And then he wanted cheese on his eggs. Okay, I can do cheese on your eggs. It was one thing on top of another. And then he sat and enjoyed his breakfast. And then I had all the cleanup to do. The dishes to wash. The things to put away. And I wanted to get ready for my day. But one thing was added on top of another. My wife sat down with a guest and had a time drinking her coffee and casually talking with them. She was a wonderful hostess, and it all landed on my shoulders. And frankly, I was not a happy camper. And the Lord dealt with me. And he said, oh, so you mind when one thing is put on top of another. You want your day to get going the way you want to get it going. You don't want to give him breakfast without you also having breakfast. Is that it? Yes, I'm fasting today. I don't want to fix other people food while I'm fasting.
1: Humble your heart, Ray. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord.
2: A bond servant has things piled one on top of another and he has no complaint in his heart because this is what is expected. This is what Jesus wants of us. Now, secondly, in doing this, he must be willing not to be thanked for it. Now, I've received effusive thanks for what I did. I did not need to receive any thanks because I did not, as I prayed through, expect anyone to say thank you to me. How often, when we serve others, self-pity rises up, and in our hearts how bitterly we complain that they take it as a matter of course, and they don't thank us for it. But a bondservant must be willing for that. Hired servants may expect something, but not bond servants. How many times I have somehow as a pastor forgotten to say thank you to someone for something that they have done, and it's come back and bit me. As I hear through the grapevine, someone is upset with me, is angry with me because they did this wonderful act of service, and pastor didn't thank them. You know, are we little children? We need to be patted on the head and say, there, there, good boy, or there, there, good girl. Come on. But somehow all of us kind of expect to receive that thank you. Now, third, having done all this that he was supposed to do, things added one on top of another. He must not charge the other with being selfish. And I have to tell you, through the years as I've read this passage, I've always felt that the master was a bit un, a bit selfish and inconsiderate. At least he could have had the servant sit down and eat with him. But there's no such charge from the bond servant. The bond servant exists to serve the interest of his master and does not imagine that he is equal with or superior to. This is not
1: something that even comes into his preview or purview. Now, perhaps you can
2: allow yourself to be put upon by others and are willing perhaps not to be thanked for what we do, but how we can charge the other in our minds with selfishness. But this is not the place for a bond servant. He is to find in the selfishness of others but a further opportunity to identify himself afresh with his Lord as the servant of all. In other words, that person putting upon us thing after thing may be a very selfish person. But that is not to arouse in our hearts any contention, but simply recognize we have an opportunity to die an even deeper death and to be a servant to all without any attitude. One of the things my dad used to say to me all the time as a boy, and it used to make me so upset. He'd say, Ray, or Raymond, he called me. Raymond, you have a bad attitude this morning. Go back to your bedroom and stay there until you have a new attitude, and then come on out and have breakfast with the family. Whoa. So I'd go back to my bedroom, and I could hear the family laughing and talking. And I'm missing out. Why? Because I have a stinky attitude. All dad had asked me to do was to run the toaster for the family or do some other small act of service to participate in getting the meal on the table. Bad attitude this morning. Raymond, go back to your room and stay there and get up on the other side of the bed. You got up on the wrong side of the bed. You got up on the side that thinks that we're supposed to serve you. Well, that's not how our family runs. If you can't come and serve, you need to stay in bed. Whoa! He was right.
1: We have to find our place as a bond servant. Now, number four,
2: there's a fourth step still to which we must go. Having done all that, there is no place for pride or self-congratulation, but we must confess that we are unprofitable servants, that is, that we are of no real use to God or man. In other words, I don't get my identity, I don't get my value out of serving others. It's not a point of pride for me. It's rather a point of humility for me. So I don't look at the people who are refusing to help set up the chairs or are refusing to help do the work necessary to put together the day's event with judgment in my heart.
1: I'm simply an unprofitable servant. And I've come to serve the Lord and do what I can to
2: help his people. And so I must confess again and again that in me there is in my flesh no good thing. That if we have acted thus, don't say thank you.
1: Now our hearts are naturally proud and stubborn. but we must well,
2: we must let jesus come and dwell in us and break from us all pride all
1: self-centeredness the way up is the way down now number 5 the bottom
2: of self is kicked out by this last and fifth step. The admission that doing and bearing what we have in the way of meekness and humility, we have not done one stitch more than it was our duty to do. God made man in the first place simply that he might be God's bond servant. Man's sin has simply consisted in his absolute refusal to be God's bond-servant. His restoration can only be then a restoration to the position of a bond-servant. You are converted to be a bond-servant. Not to be somebody, Jesus said, the Gentiles lorded over one another, but not you. Let him who serves be the greatest. A man, then, has not done anything especially meritorious when he's consented to take that position, for he was created and redeemed by Jesus to be that bondservant. Now, we're going to be walking with one another in love and courtesy and appreciation, but all of that is utterly unnecessary if we are filled with the presence and power and spirit of Jesus Christ. This is the true way of the cross. We will not be insulted by another when they neglect to say thank you and when they keep asking for more and more, we will not say, Go get it yourself! But we will humbly go and serve, and do all we can to help a brother or a sister. This is the way of the cross. It is the way that God's lowly bondservant first walked for you and for me. And should we not, the bondservants of that bondservant still walk that way? Does it seem hard and forbidding today, this way down? Be assured, it is the only way up. It was the way by which the Lord Jesus reached the throne, and it is the way by which we too reach the place of spiritual power, authority, and fruitfulness. Those who tread this path are radiant, happy, overflowing with the life of Jesus. They have found he that humbleth himself shall be exalted,
1: to be true for them, even as it was for Jesus. Where
2: before humility was an unknown and unwelcome intruder to be put up with on occasion. Humility has now become the spouse of our soul to whom we have wedded ourselves forever. In darkness and unrest, if they enter the soul, it is only because somewhere on that point they have been unwilling to walk with her in the path of meekness and brokenness. If today you are discouraged, Filled with despair, it is because you refuse to be a bondservant of Jesus. Today, if you're angry and bitter, it is because you have refused to be a Christian. By definition, a Christian is a bondservant who has given up all of his rights, has humbled his heart, and has stepped into the full love and mercy and
1: compassion of Jesus Christ. And if you are willing, you can seek again the
2: face of humility in repentance. Now that brings us to this all-important matter of repentance. We cannot enter into more abundant life merely by resolving that we shall be humble in the future. There are attitudes and actions which must already take place and are still being persisted in. If only for our unwillingness to apologize for them, to recognize what we have done to another, that must be repented of. The Lord Jesus did not take upon him the form of a bondservant merely to give us an example but that he might die for those very sins upon the cross and open a fountain of his precious blood where we can all be washed and made clean. But that blood cannot be applied to the sins of our proud heart until we are willing to be broken in repentance as to what has already happened in the past and what we're already walking in. This will mean allowing the light of God to go through every part of our heart into every one of our relationships. It will mean that we shall have to see the sins of pride which God will show us. These sins are what made it necessary for Jesus to come from heaven and die on the cross, that they might be forgiven and destroyed and wiped away from our character it will mean not only asking him to forgive us, but asking other people to forgive us as well. And that will humble us. But as we crawl through the door of the broken ones, we shall emerge into the light and glory of the highway of holiness and humility. Now, I've just been told we have two minutes left in the broadcast, and I have so much more I want to share with you. I'm going to come back tomorrow on Friday and do a live broadcast. Would you join that broadcast and would you tell others and invite them? We're going to talk about the mighty, powerful blood of Jesus that can bring a proud heart to humility.
1: Let me just say, please, I humble my heart
2: and say, I need your help. I can't do this alone. December is always a very difficult radio month. People are spending money in many different ways. But it's Jesus' birthday. I need your help with Pilgrim's Progress. We have received almost no offerings this month, which is very unusual. Could I please ask, would you give or Jesus, the broadcast. Go to our webpage, nationalprayachapel.com. Nationalprayachapel.com. You can give online. I check it every day, multiple times. You can give online, or you can write to us. You'll find the address on that webpage. You're also welcome to call 703-489-489. One seven eight five if you'd like to walk in humility with Jesus and with other believers who are real. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.
0: Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. We're great.